You're listening to the Business Spotlight exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome everyone to the latest episode of the Business Spotlight. Uh, my name is Mark Pollard. I'm the owner of the Pod Station. Uh, what we do is with this show, we get in an expert in a different field each time. Uh, and I throw some questions at them, which will hopefully enable you to get some tips and some advice within that particular field uh, so that uh, you can help adapt to the circumstances that you might find yourself in right about now. Uh, this week, we've got uh, a financial guru uh, in the form of Dave Forrest from Myriad Mortgages. Uh, Dave's going to come in and tell us all about the current property market, about the financing and the lending, uh, the insurance world. Um, all within the areas of his business and his services, uh, which might give you some insight into where it is at the current moment and where it's going to be in both the long and the short term. Um, We're, of course, doing this at the time of the coronavirus pandemic lockdown, so there's plenty to discuss, and perhaps this show's going to be slightly more leaning towards the circumstances as they are at at the present time. Um, However... We will try and take a little bit of a look outside of of that circumstance to give you a, a slightly more rounded opinion. Uh, so without further ado, you will perhaps have recognised his voice before because, of course, he was uh, one of my co-hosts uh, when we interviewed Sarah Webb of E2E Integration about the IT advice show which is episode one which you can find on the podstation.co.uk right now and um, also if you can if you want to check out this show you can find it on all of the major podcast platforms there's links on the business spotlight page um, if you subscribe every time a new show is added then it will automatically download to whatever device you're using to listen to your podcasts um, i should also mention that if you would like to be on the show then all you need to do is email spotlight at the podstation.co.uk. We'll send you an application form out. You can fill it in and, and we will endeavour to try and schedule in for a, a recording. Um, ultimately, the aim is to give your business a bit of exposure and promotion, but fundamentally the show is here to, to try and give some advice to people and help them out within your area of expertise. So, um, Dave, how are you Hello. doing? I'm okay. Um, hello, Mark. Hello, everybody. Yeah, you've sat very pa- back. Yeah, well, you sat very patiently through that little introduction. You I did know, very that was well. a good intro, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You obviously had that written out, wrote down on the wall. Uh, yeah, it's it's written on the window that I'm currently <laughs> yeah. looking out of whilst we're doing Fantastic. it. We're we're recording this remotely, of course, because lockdown is still well and truly in place. Um, are you in lockdown, I suppose, given the nature of what you do? I, I suppose uh, the first question should be, what is it that Myriad Mortgages does? And then people can perhaps understand your answer to that question. Yeah, well, we're mortgage advisors, insurance advisors and protection life insurance type advisors. So that's what we do. So normally we'd be out seeing our clients or getting them into the office for appointments, really. So yes, but we are in we are in lockdown. If you like, we've um, decamped to home to the home office, which I think we're quite lucky in what we do. We can do that, but within that, we're only learning loads of new skills, like self you know self isolation and self distancing and doing this stuff on Zoom and all these type of things. So yeah, it's sort of working quite well. Um, and yeah, hopefully today we'll go through a bit of 
you know, how the market is, what it's doing for our business and, and going forward, you know, how we can move forward out of it. Now, quite often when we get people in, they talk about the services that they provide from the perspective of the service provider. Of course, it will become quite abundantly clear during the course of this recording uh, that you've actually experienced it from both sides of the fence during this pandemic situation because you did actually move house during the lockdown. I did, I did. So that was, uh, I mean, I'll always say to clients and probably one of the first things I'll say to them when I speak to them about moving house or and mortgages and all those type of things it's going to be a bit stressful this process because take the pandemic out of it and it's a stressful process anyway really moving house or buying a house or buying your first house because there's so much involved um so it sort of rang really true for us because even though i do it every day it was quite a stressful process and um we'd exchange contracts two weeks before the sort of monday that Boris announced that that's it, we're stuck in now for, for the next three weeks. So we sort of knew we were going to be moving within that period. Um, so, I, I mean, the, the sort of process of moving, that was that was going to happen. Um, but then sort of on the Monday before, the week before, um, we had a call from the, the van company that we'd hired to say, no, we won't be moving here, unfortunately. So it was to, to, to then, you know, find someone who, who's got a van and you know fortunately for me one of my clients was still working as a courier and he's got a big van and he said I can help you out if we do some social distancing um but then uh, you know up the chain was you know is everyone going to be well up the chain and been able to move so thankfully they did uh, it was a little bit strange moving when we shouldn't have been out but we did it and did all our usual stuff made sure the house was empty and, and all that sort of thing so it did work out um, but I suppose it's like anything during during this period. There's no sort of black and white, you know. There's no no you can't. Yes, you can. Um, and we have still got clients, um, you know, expecting to move even within while we're still within lockdown because there are some rules where you can you can do it if you do do all your social distancing or the house is empty. So I've got a couple of clients at the moment um, where both houses are empty, so we will expect to get them in. You know, within within even if we are sort of still within this lockdown period or it's extended at all, so we're sort of five weeks in, aren't we? So, um, you know, if it happens in the next couple of weeks, we should still be able to get them in. Um, lenders are lenders are still lending the money. That's not shut down, so it can happen, but it's just all about being sensible, really. So it can. The house market is still moving. It still is able yeah. to move, even though. There are some yeah. hurdles that people have to negotiate. Yeah, I mean, I would say the house buying market is is pretty much frozen because obviously someone new can't go and view a property. So I've not had one anyone yet who wants to buy one that hasn't actually seen it. Um, you know, we've had a, we've we've still got a, had a few number of new clients who are looking to get in a position where when they do come out, they've seen something and they want to then go and view it or they're in the middle of sort of buying it. So it's not totally dead, but the house purchase market has really slowed down. Obviously all the estate agents are pretty much closed anyway. Um, I think some of them are doing some sort of virtual viewings to get it started, get the process started. But I think until you're physically gone around it, you're not really going to, I can't see anyone really purchasing something. Um, although today I've just had in a client who on the buy to let market, he's seen a couple of properties and he wants to start the process of buying those. I suppose that's a bit different because you're not going to live in it yourself. 
So it's not totally dead, the purchase market, um, but it's pretty much, the word I've been using for clients is it's frozen at the moment, which I think gives a bit of a better, bit of a better outlook because it will unfreeze at some point. It's not, it's not dead and it's finished. So I think you've, you know, you've got to use those positive sort of things. Now that's uh, when you when you say that you're talking very much about the actual process of the buying or the selling of the house be- yeah. from people viewing the property right the way through to them making an offer, doing all the searches, etc. There is, of course, the elements of that process that you play a large party to, which is the the financial element, the mortgages aspect of it. Yeah. Um, has there been any substantial changes caused by the coronavirus pandemic? to the mortgage market itself yeah well the, the, the main i would say the main issue was around um the valuation of the property so obviously if you're going to buy a house uh, the lender will want to do a valuation and you might want to do a survey or a combination of the two so the main issue initially was the fact that you know a valuer would have to physically visit the property and if there's someone in there how do you do your social distancing then again there was no real Oh, you can't do a valuation, but the social distancing just caused a lot of the valuation companies to go, no, look, we're just closed. We can't be sending someone to a house when there's going to be people living there. Um, so I think initially what when the press got hold of over the mortgage market stopping, it was when lenders really went, oh, hang on, we can't send a valuer out. Right, we're going to have to just pull back a little bit, see how we're going to do this. So what they, what they did now... More and more nowadays, lenders are looking to do valuations online or what they call desktop valuations or automated valuations because they've got a lot of the data in the systems anyway. So if you've got a house on a street, you know, they may well have valued those properties over the years and they've got the data on really what, what sort of value they are, what state they're in. Um, so more and more over the last few years anyway, a lot of the lenders and the bigger lenders have been going to the automated valuations anyway. And certainly up to a certain level, so that might be if you're putting 25% deposit down, you would have done those anyway. So all that happened is a lot of the lenders and the bigger lenders went away and said, right, we're just pulling our products for a little bit because we just want to see how we're going to deal with this. And then quite quickly, it was only about a week, some of the big guys started to come back with automated valuations up to say with a 10% deposit or a 15% deposit. So they were finding ways to still do the business. So I think to say that the market shut down, it didn't, it went away, re, rejigged. And I suppose like anything in this world now where we are is everything we're doing is going to change. And that just means that going forward, they'll just do more and more online valuations or, you know, what they call desktop valuations on more properties, really. Um, so, yeah, some of the smaller lenders can't do that because they haven't got the systems yet. So. Well, that's certainly something that is worth perhaps asking you about the um, the automated valuations i mean they're an absolute necessity at the moment because they don't the lockdown rules are as, as they are um those are going to start to relax slowly but it does appear that it's going to be over a period of time um how do you think they're going to change or adapt are, are they going to bring in any more modern or more sophisticated ways of doing these automated valuations to allow for the fact that you might be talking three six months down the line before you're actually able to to physically go out and do these valuations or do you think they're just going to find a way of getting people out to do the physical inspections but 
perhaps in a more safe, social distancing type manner? I think I think it'll be a combination of both, really. I think for a number of years, the lenders have wanted to um, sort of push the automated valuations anyway. You know, there's been talk about, you know, you, you know, if, if you just take a picture of the house and prove that it's there, because really a valuation for a lender, that's all it is. It's a proof that it's got windows, doors, it exists. It doesn't really provide you with too much, you know, state of the property of what it's in, unless there's something that's glaringly obvious from a structural point of view that would be questions asked. Because the tentative more the way we do things now is evaluation of the lender, but your own survey. So the survey is is really for you to check the condition of the property. The valuation is pretty much to say, yes, it's worth 180000 or whatever you're buying it for, and it exists. And really, from all the data that's out there and Google Maps and all those type of things, um, it was coming anyway. This will probably just you know bring it forward by say a couple of years where they'll, they'll they'll bring but for more than anything with lenders it's about systems so the bigger guys who've built the systems they're just going to be able to adapt them some of your smaller lenders or your building societies will take a bit of time to catch up but you are right that this will just bring that sort of you know that process forward a little bit really and, and it's even starting to come into um in the sort of lending sort of uh, arena you know certain documents would always need a sort of wet signature you know it, someone would physically sign it um you know legal documents and already they're now being talked about more well we'll be able to accept this or accept that rather than so where that would probably again would have come over a five-year period that might just come a bit quicker now you know electronic signatures um on things things like a mortgage deed which has to be registered with the land registry that would always need a wet signature and a witness well, really, that causes a problem in this this sort of social distancing. How do you get a witness to, to witness your signature? Um, so the, those things will be talked about a bit more. So it's like anything, this will all, all bring things forward a little bit on conversations about things being done maybe quicker with technology. And as we're all, we're all sort of learning and we're on Zoom at the moment, aren't we? I mean, I didn't even know that word before, before February. And if you just said to me, well, we we're going to do an appointment on Skype or Zoom, I used to think, oh, great idea, but didn't really want to do it. I didn't want to see my face on the screen, you know. <laughs> I still but, don't, already, by the way. <laughs> I know, I know. But already, you know, I've done some appointments via this. We've done lots of meetings via this. We're doing the podcast via it. You know, it, the world will change because of this, and for a good way. You know, we've got to look at the positives out of it. Um, you know, rather than me driving around and seeing five or six clients a day, well, I can say maybe see 10, but do them all from the office or from the home office. So, so it will change things a little bit for the better. We've talked very much about the process element of sort of the, the property market and certainly the buying and the selling of a property. Where do we think, uh, how do we think this is going to affect the property market as a whole? Do we think this is going to affect the value of people's properties? That's the million dollar or six million dollar question really everyone's asking me that at the moment you know um you know we've got some clients who are sort of in that frozen state so they've started the process they've offered on the house they're, they're going through it and at some point we'll, they'll buy it and they've said well you know i'm putting my 20 percent deposit in here is that going to still be worth what it was worth what if there's a property crash um that's very difficult to predict you can't you, we can't i mean things are day by day at the moment aren't we although i think already as we said we're, we're sort of coming towards the end of april we're five weeks in now to this sort of lockdown and you are starting to see things move a little bit 
you know, as I said, lenders are coming out with more ways of doing things. The market's frozen but not dead. Um, the remortgage markets there and valuations where they are being done online are holding up at the moment. So there's certainly not. I, th- I think it's all about how long this this lockdown, if you call it, how long that is really, um, and. Obviously, that has a knock-on effect on things like jobless figures and all those type of things. Um, you know, people can afford the mortgages. And But I suppose if you if you do a shorter-term prediction, there's still going to be a demand for property. Um, even during the financial crash sort of 12, 13 years ago, you know, property prices, while in London, maybe they dropped quite a bit, you know, but they rose so much. Really, I think across your, your, your normal sort of, areas of the country they didn't really fall that much um they stagnated a bit and stagnated for a number of years it took a while for them to come back but they didn't really drop by a hell of a lot um and there's just going to be a demand for property but then you you know you you, i think we've all sort of thought okay what does this look like after lockdown we don't know yet of the sort of people's thoughts of whether it's going to be right, I'm still shutting myself away and I don't want to go out, or is it going to be, hooray, we're out and I want to spend a load of money and I'm going to move house now. Um, I don't know. I don't know where that falls, really. I don't know what the thoughts are. Because value of property is very much subject to supply and demand. Part of the reason why property is so expensive in this country is because there are so few properties as against the number of people who ultimately want to buy one. Um, if if d- demand drops, then uh, prices also drop. So I guess people are perhaps going to take into account whether people lose their jobs as a result of this, businesses yeah. go pop, um, whether people have had to eat into their savings that they would have otherwise used to buy the house um, to to fund themselves during this, this period. These, are, I guess, are the negatives that are likely to affect yeah. the market. As you said before, there'll always be a demand. Uh, one of the One of the things that happened quite, certainly quite, largely at the last property crash was those people who do have the financial clout now were buying up a lot more property whilst they were able to do it whilst it was available whilst prices were low um that very much lent itself to the um landlord tenant buy to let market um the governments um successive governments have gone to great lengths over the last few years to introduce new legislation to introduce uh, new procedures um, to new, introduce new tax rules uh, that all seem to be very much geared towards making it harder for people to make as big a profit from being a landlord. I think personally from my perspective it was largely to try and detract people from continuing to just mop up property that yeah. first time buyers were desperate to get hold of so they could get on the market, but that those properties were being swept up by those people who already had the financial clout. Do you think that we're going to see a second wave of increase in the buy-to-let market, bearing in mind that those rules that were introduced to detract the buy-to-let market are still in place? However, the people with the cash are probably still going to be the people who are best placed to keep the the property market going yeah i mean it's like everything isn't it the people with money will always be able to to rise up and and make more money when when things happen um 
it's going to, it, again, it's going to be a difficult one. I mean, the buy-to-let market was still strong anyway, and it was probably growing a bit, even because of those sort of tax laws and tax changes. Um, people had got used to it, built it into the business if they're running it as a business, um, and we're, we're sort of happy to do it. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's so many layers to it. I don't know whether it'll have that much of an effect. Possibly what you might find is see where people have been furloughed and, that's that's really saved. That's that's saved a lot of things, hasn't it? Because that's just bought time for people to sit back and go, okay, right, we're okay till sort of June, and then let's see where we are. Um, you know, businesses have not had to get rid of. I mean, obviously there has been people who've lost their jobs, um, but there's been just been probably nowhere near the numbers that it would have been. Um, and and yet, obviously, we're, we're sort of coming to the point where they're talking about coming out of it. So um, let's hope it is sort of not that long, but whether they'd have to extend that fellow. But already lenders have brought in little bits of new criteria where people have been furloughed, that they're still going to lend to them. So they'll work on 80% of the salary. Now, that's an unusual situation because if you think about it, you know, you've been sort of furloughed, which is saying saying that the business needs help, um, you know, to pay the people, but the lender would still lend to them. That's an unusual situation because normally we say, look, my job's at risk. You know, is a lender going to lend to you? Probably no, but in this situation, they've sort of been told, no, you still have to lend to these people. Um, so that's going to prop the whole market, prop, prop it all up. So that loss of property that then might be on the market for the investors might not be there. Um, so, yeah, it, it again, it just depends on the drop if there is a drop in property, but no doubt about it, the buy to let people will, you know, they'll always they'll always find a way of getting things. And you know, if there is a need for for some more rental properties, the only people to do it is the is the rent, you know, the landlords anyway, because they're the only ones. You know, the government haven't got any property as such really. It is all the private investors. What you might find, um, and there has been a little bit of sort of muted talk about it when you read the sort of press. Um, things like maybe even a stamp duty holiday for purchases. So that might, you know, again, it's another tax cut, isn't it? But that would sort of like, well, okay, well, we'll buy a house then because, you know, and it's only a few thousand, but it would help. Um, the help to buy scheme, which is for new build properties, was was sort of coming, not to the end, but was starting to change a bit. And again, the, the, I know the government are in talks with um, the builders to sort of say, we may well extend that now beyond where it was going to end or was going to have to be changed. So there'll be everything done to prop up the property market as in purchasing. I mean, if you think about all the builders at the moment, you know, if you if you are out and you you know you see a site, it's just sat there half built at the moment. Um, you know, so they've got to get going and they're going to want to shift that stock and to shift that stock and then start building some new ones. You know, they need people to buy them. Because those properties won't be from investors won't buy those really, yeah. It's do we think the money that the government have provided to help us through this process is going to have to be recovered at some stage? You hate to say it, but certainly those people who do have the the money, um, I want to say the money that that's a huge scale. I'm not. I'm trying to keep it quite general because we don't know for certain. There's been no indications of certain, but bearing in mind property is usually one of the most, if not the most expensive asset that you will ever invest yeah. in. 
it it stands to reason if you are selling your property and this is a guess where the the catch 22 kicks in with keeping the property market going because you could you can offer incentives for people to buy the properties you can offer incentives for people to build the properties um, can you incentivize people to sell the properties if there's going to be a big tax whack because you have a decent amount of equity in that yeah. property i mean i think successive governments have never really been in favor of taxing too much you know if you if you make a profit on the, the property that you live in because what that tends to do is just fuel you know that just funds your purchase of your next bigger property because that one's gone up anyway in line with your one so we, it'd be, i think it'd be very difficult to sort of tax that but you know there's no reason why not i mean we're all gonna pay for this somehow aren't we you know um we're all gonna have to pay a little bit more i think over the years to pay some of this back um you know so um I don't know. I don't know where that, whether that that would work because again, you then you then more or less, you know, you would definitely disen, uh, you know, putting people off buying a, a bigger property, and surely that's the way our economy works. Is you live in one house, your aspirations are to have a slightly better one, and you move on, and then your first time buyer buys your one, and that's the way it works. And there's no doubt about it. You know, the housing market in this country is king, really. You know, someone buys a property, they then go and buy doors and they get a painter in and they get it fuels the whole economy, doesn't it? So I, I do believe it will be one of the first sort of like industries that the, the government will want to get going, you know, quite quickly. And it's, a, as we said, there's people still doing, still looking at buying, still doing little sort of startings of it. So the government, now it is one of the ones they can, they can get the engines going quite quickly, really, you know. And get it moving um, all they've got to do is allow state agents to open social distancing a bit more online you know looking at property and then yeah like you've mentioned before it might be if you're going to go and view a property i mean there's always been the case that estate agents would do you know say to the client look you go out go out for your walk and we'll do the viewing on the property there's no reason why that can't be extended a bit more where that's you've got to do it that way you don't you know you will not be showing the client around your house we will be We'll be opening the door for them and then we'll go and look around, which is probably a better way to do it anyway. I've always found it quite strange that when you're going to view a house, you're going to view it and the people are living there. It's just very, very strange. It feels um, like you're so, picking through somebody's underwear yeah, drawer, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's yeah, just it odd. It's awkward. Yeah. I think awkward's it's, the description. Yeah. I remember, I remember viewing them once. They were sat there having the tea and they said, oh, yeah, just go around and have a little look. <laughs> it's very, very strange. So, yeah, it's just it'll possibly make things change a little bit there as well. have a passion hobby or expertise and want to share it with the world why not do a podcast the pod station offers a wide range of packages to make this a reality ranging from training and support for those who have no idea where to begin to podcasters who just need somewhere to host their show with prices starting at a mere £15 per month, you can now get involved in one of the fastest growing entertainment forms in the world without all the headaches to find out more, visit the podstation.co.uk forward slash station dash packages. And remember, those with passion, podcast.
what sort of advice would you give to i mean let's let's start with the the private market the not not the buy to let market but people who are looking to buy a house whether it be first time buyers or people who are looking to upsize or even downsize for that matter do you is there or do you think there will be a change to the process of documentation that you'll have to provide evidence that the lenders will need to see over and above what what is already required do you think the deposit percentage is going to fluctuate at all as a result of these current changes I don't think so. I think it might even, um, I, will, I will say the documentation will get easier. That was getting easier anyway, because with these days of electronics and, and all that, you know, lenders can see you anyway. So to be honest, but you know, from a mortgage point of view, what we submit to a lender is not a hell of a lot because the lender trusts us as the, the, the intermediaries, the advisor to submit the right information. And in some cases, they don't ask us for any documents because they can see that on your bank statements. And they can see how you're, you're living your life through your credit file and everything. Um, so probably not too much of a change there. Just just carry on. It'll carry on as normal and, and where we were because doing a mortgage is fairly easy, really. The actual doing of the mortgage, actually getting it in place is fairly easy. The advice up to that of, of how which one we're going to do, who we're going to go with, that's where the sort of advice comes in. Um and again, I think from the lender's criteria, I think that will come back quite quickly to where it was anyway. Um, I think what you could see is possibly quite a lot of maybe incentives to go with certain lenders because all lenders want to lend an amount each You know, it's about market share. It's about how much they lend each year, how they, how they are viewed in the market. So you take one of the big lenders. They've been out the market on the purchase for two, possibly three months. They're going to want to catch that up quite quickly because as we've said the call lenders if they don't lend money they don't make any money so you could see now we're in a very low rate you know low rate environment and i've been for you know 13 years now um it can't get much better although the bank of england reduced you know base rate to 0.1 um and i think that was more to help the stock market out really and try and build a bit, a bit of confidence but no doubt lenders will be making a little bit more money than they were even though interest rates are low so you could see some while we never thought they could go any lower than they were um you know we could see some sort of incentives maybe a bit more of a cash back or pay your stamp duty those type of things to to get clients in because again it's about market share so the big guys your halifaxes your santander's of this world they will want to try and keep market share a little bit um so yeah i don't I, I think it will go back to normal fairly quickly in our sort of world really um and it'll all be about how many clients are out there looking to to get mortgages but certainly from from anyone looking i would say your first thing to do is you know start start now start with the financial process now even if you think right we're not going to move towards the end of the year get start now and, you know we can advise people um, I would think, well, I've, I've heard a few stories. I think it's very difficult going along to the bank at the moment. It was anyway. Because well, they've all uh, shut, haven't they? <laughs> they've all shut, or they're on reduced hours. They probably won't have any mortgage brokers in there, uh, mortgage advisors that they have. But I think anyone who's been has then come to us and said, look, I'm, I can't, get, you know, I'm still working. I can't get it. And I said, well, you probably can't through that route. But through our route, slightly different. The lenders will want more and more us to give advice and then pass it through to the lender. Do you think the 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 property market crash from 13 years ago 
I'm hesitant to use this. I use this word with great reservation. But do you actually think it's helped us out in this situation because the financial market has everything in place that unfortunately yeah. had to hurt, learn the hard way first time yeah. round. So it's better place to adapt and indeed yes. recover from this crisis. Yes. Yeah. One of the great things that came out of the, the crash was lenders were stressed to, to death, really. They, you know, they, they, they never were before. They were just, they just go on with what they did. The market fueled itself and it would have the bubbles and the busts and all that. Um, once the sort of FCA came in and, and got the teeth into it, they, they were going into some of these lenders, you know, on a weekly basis and saying, right, tell us what your mortgage book looks like. And if this happened, what would that look like? You know, if rates shot up to 15%, what would happen if we had another financial crash? What would happen? Now, I'm sure they never went in and said, if we have a world pandemic, what will happen? Um, but I think all of us as businesses have had these sort of like, and we're, and we're all responsible for these disaster planning. And we never quite thought that this would be the disaster that would happen. Um, but certainly in the financial market, I know lenders are pretty much awash with money to lend. So it's not, this is not, last last time it was a stop, it was a lack of money. There was no money left. This is not a lack of money. The lenders are sat on, you know, plenty of money to lend. And if it was normal, we'd be we'd be flying along as normal now, um, in, getting into halfway through the year. And the figures were all looking sort of like a record year. Um, so while we lose the three months of lending, you know, it will come back. And, and certainly towards the end of the year, you know, you'll start to see lenders ramp it up, as I say, with maybe some incentives and things like that. So, yeah, definitely. It was a great, the great thing to come out of the crash was this sort of disaster planning or this stress testing, as it was. And that was even passed on to clients as well. So when we're talking to clients, we're talking about, well, what would, if it went up by 1% or 2%, this is what it would look like. So you can, you know, you can still survive it. Um, so, yeah, you're right. It did help. Before we move on to property, I think one of the things you would, I suspect you would probably highly recommend is that anyone in the property world very much keeps their eyes open, their ears peeled and their, 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 their finger on the pulse because tax changes to try and recoup um, the money that has been spent by the government um, <clears throat> may well incentivize people to invest in property to avoid being taxed heavily by with what with what might be coming in either through profits in the business or uh, what might be sitting in the bank account. So pe people need to keep in touch, certainly with the likes of yourself, to um, make sure yeah. that they can yeah. foresee any changes and adapt quickly to mitigate the effects it might have on them negatively um, by, by, by speaking to the experts. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think, you know, we, we, you know, keep in touch with the um and you know over this we've done a couple of sort of like emails to everybody to just make sure they're all right and yeah continue to do so just just yeah it, 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 it's not just about you know I, I want a mortgage you know you know you know it's okay what should i do maybe going forward there's lots of things i mean we've taken loads of calls from people on you know clients on the payment holiday that lenders have offered should i do it when should i do it so all those type of things yeah it's not just about writing new mortgages or doing new business it's about looking after your existing clients and i think that goes for any business through this you know mm -hmm. looking after your existing clients now 
Will and when we do come out of it and start to do business again, you know they're, they're, that's your client bank. They're valuable to you, and you've got to look after them. So yes, yeah, certainly, you know we're there for any advice. Okay, uh, we mentioned at the outset that it's not just mortgages that you do. Um, there is other things you provide: income protection and critical illness cover. I did want to touch on these points, uh, particularly in light of the current circumstances, because there must be a knock-on effect a in terms of what information insurers are going to want to see if you're taking out a new policy or renewing a policy um but also of course the the rather sensitive topic of actually having these policies in place given that there are still large percentages percentages of the population who are still vulnerable to contracting this virus and how easy it is it to actually take a policy out in light of this it is it i mean i suppose the most obvious question is to what extent are insurance providers wanting to know about whether you have or haven't had the coronavirus before they will agree to let you take a policy yeah, I mean, those questions have now come into to new policies. So on existing policies that were taken prior to all this, you know, if you died through this, you'd be covered. That's no problem whatsoever. And then on new policies, there are some extra questions. Have you had, you know, haven't you had, when was it, and those type of things. And then the underwriting will be done on based on those questions. So, you know, if you've had it and recovered from it, um, then, the, the, you know, the underwriter could put a condition in that, you know, if you died from that, that may not pay out, but all insurers are different and have a different level. Um, and it then comes on to price and, you know, whether I think at the moment we're sort of saying, well, you know, if you, we can actually get something in place now because we don't know what price will happen in six, eight months' time as the sort of wash through of what this is doing. Obviously, if this is, this is killing some people, there's going to be some claims there on policies. Um, and obviously, insurers provide other insurance as well business inter interruption and things like that. there's going to be big payouts on that that'll affect the market and it's a bit like the tax everyone's got to pay for it somewhere aren't they um so it's it, it's tricky because big because you don't want to imply that they might ultimately seek to take advantage of this situation i i guess take somebody like me for example if i was to take out uh, a critical illness policy now um, I'm under 40, I'm relatively healthy, uh, I don't have issues like breathing, there's no asthma, there's no lung issues, there's no, um, there's nothing in the family that would lend itself to that. And I guess people like me who, uh, I guess I'm probably a better candidate for having the coronavirus and coming out of it relatively unscathed so far as you can say that as a certainty as such um you know are my policies going to go up because i suppose theoretically it's the coronavirus to somebody like me is perhaps much the same as the risk of contracting a serious flu-like virus and again i appreciate there is a distinct difference between those medic two medical conditions for the obvious reasons that we don't go into lockdown every time there's a new flu strain out but i guess the point i'm trying to make is to what extent would somebody like me be affected by this or is there any is there any indications that I, do we just have to sit tight and wait to see what the insurance market decides to do 
Yeah, it's very much a bit like the you know the car insurance market. They'll sort of say, you know, we've had a load of claims this year, so everyone's paying for it. So yeah, we we don't know what the full sort of like implications of it are, but the chances are, it, yeah, things could. You know, if you were doing a new policy, I mean, if you're doing a, if you've got an existing policy and you you've got guaranteed terms that you know guaranteed premiums over the term of the policy, that's not going to change. But if you're doing a new policy, you could see a few pence on top of your new policy. Um, not that you'll know too much about it because you, if you're not quoted before and after, you won't really know. But we'll we'll sort of get an indication of where the market is. But no doubt about it, if you've got a load of claims or there's a bit more risk, because you know obviously this thing can kill you, so there's a bit more risk of it. Um, that might just come into the pricing. Um, it'll be very much let's see what happens really. Um, but but yeah, there's a bit more risk of things. Um, I mean, on a critical illness policy, it's a bit different. This isn't a critical illness. So it's, it won't be defined as a critical illness in the policy, um, but the overall pricing, effectively, we all pay for that anyway, really, on a sort of mask risk thing. So, um, but certainly, it's, it, any policy is based on a number of factors: age, as you say, you know, how fit you are, smoker, BMI, all those type of things come into it. So you won't really notice it yourself too much on a new policy because you won't know what the policy was before, really. That's a, that's an interesting thing you've just said there. So, if it, you had live cover and you died from it, yeah. it would probably fall within the remits of that policy. Critical illness, and now what's what what is the usual definition of critical illness? Well, every provider will have different definitions of what a critical illness is, but broadly, the the sort of like similar. So. The, big, the biggest power we know about will be cancer. And, and policies will change. Although existing policies will have the same definition, definitions of what it will pay out will change a little bit. So it might it might be more, you know, if you take someone like prostate cancer, for instance, that might, might have, on an older policy, be a, a higher stage before it pays out. And on a newer policy, they're now paying out quicker. And then there's some policies out there will pay out just on the diagnosis of cancer. Cancer's diagnosed, you're paid out. So it just depends what it is. But every policy will have a list of illnesses that it will pay out on, and they're not all the same. So you you know, and then obviously some will be a slightly higher price because they'll pay pay out on more conditions or you know less severity of the condition. They're all different. So it does not like one critical illness policy. But COVID nineteen will not be. A critical illness defined in any policy anywhere a bit like flu isn't you know okay so it wouldn't pay out on diagnosis um, and a lot of a lot of sort of like life policies have, have um you know they have it in where if you contract something that's going to sort of kill you within 12 months it will pay out straight away so uh, that's called terminal illness so if you've got a terminal illness that's going to kill you say within 12 months or different definitions on that rather than wait until you're dead it'll pay out now, I would stress for the people listening to this show that, number one, Dave isn't a medical expert, and number two, um, every policy is different. So when I, I pose these questions, I'm more asking for some sort of insight from him. I'm not. I'm certainly not asking him to pin his clothes to the mast as such because that would be intrinsically unfair. But with, with the critical illness element, because we don't fully understand the nature of the coronavirus yet... If it were to exacerbate something that did fall on that critical illness list, so I don't know whether something like COPD, which is the chronic lung 
disease if it if it was to exacerbate or to accelerate that kind of a condition might that still be something that fell within the criteria of that kind of policy or is that just a too, Again, too complex question given that's complex because yeah. it's going to depend what's on your uh, death certificate i suppose and what you know i suppose that's not real i don't that we've not had any steering on that that's not sort of come out we've not had any claims yet or anything like that so um, but it's certainly a yeah, I mean, obviously, if you had something like that, you know, like a part problem, you'd certainly want to have been, when you're applying, tell the provider about that. Um, you know, you, you should always declare everything um, so that they can make a judgment. So if, if it was something that came further down the line, it's in your policy, and then they're going to pay out then. Um, but, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question that we've not really got any answers to at the moment because I suppose at the moment it looks like anyone who dies with this is being told that they died, you know, you're being told that they died of that rather than, you know, that caused that really. It, you know, that, but obviously we're not sort of seeing, we're just seeing the numbers at the moment, aren't we? We aren't really seeing what, what it is people are dying from. Um, so and if, inter- that's a very interesting question. If people don't have policies, would you... Uh, it sounds silly again. Um, if people don't have policies given the extra risk now of people because there are plenty of examples of perfectly healthy uh, on the face of it people who should probably have come through the other side of the coronavirus itself who sadly have died and um, policies that would provide some payouts would have been all the more um, vital to provide that support that protection to your family um, of course if people don't have those policies the recommendation is naturally going to be now is a good time to get it because you can see firsthand the examples of why you need to have those things in place to caveat that i guess is there an extra emphasis on people to get the policies now because like you have just said there isn't any clear examples at the moment that policy prices are substantially increasing at this time. However, as you say, if there are increased claims that are going to start occurring over the next 3, 6, 12 months time, as a result, prices will go up. So to get in now would actually probably serve as you getting it at a more preferential price. Definitely. It's always been the case anyway, because the price I give you today is not the price you could get tomorrow because tomorrow you could be diagnosed with something it's exactly the same as it was six months ago you know when i see a first-time buyer and the young and you give them a price you know if they come back in 10 years and say oh well we've had a couple of kids now we want to take some now it's going to be a different price every day is a different price because you're a day older and you're a day heavier and you you know you're near you're nearer you're nearer to something happening you know, there's no doubt about that. So, um, and that t- that then doesn't take in the price changes that we could have if the insurance industry has to negate some of this cost that they might have. Um, so, there's no doubt about it. There's no better day than taking it than today, because that's the price, and you're healthy. Um, you know, it's always the case that if we do have a claim, or you know, someone has something, they always say, "Oh, I wish I could get some more cover now," and and you know, that might be that you can't get cover. We paid a number of claims out on sort of cancer diagnosis, and the people are okay and they're fine. But then the first question they ask is, "Well, can I get some cover now?" 
And generally, it's no until a certain period has passed or we use a different provider or the price goes up. You know, there's a loading or there's a there's an exclusion for that type of cancer then on a new policy. There's loads of different things, but you know, there's no better play time to get it than today because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And more out of curiosity than anything, because uh, if anybody knows me, um, they will know what I do for a living um, with with my business and. If they've listened to the Goldfish marketing podcast, they'll understand we've touched upon this quite recently on multiple occasions. How are you getting on with marketing and promoting that product? Because you've given some perfect examples of why people need it and you've given some strong arguments for why they need to do it now. But it's quite a sensitive topic talking about people getting... Uh, a product which you financially gain from by selling them that product and the insurance companies benefit from by giving them that product uh, but which is so important there's kind of a balance there's that there's yeah. that horrible balance isn't it between getting yourself out there so that people know what you do and the importance of why you do it but not be seen to be taking advantage of the current climate because it could be easily perceived that way even if that isn't your intention yeah i mean you know it's it's a, it's always a, a difficult situation to have to talk you know you sat down with a um, particularly with someone buying a house you know you're in a very positive position and they go well hang on i'm just going to bring you down to where you possibly then die you know that is not an easy conversation but if we don't have it we're not doing a proper job for our clients you know we're not We've got to take them to that dark place. Um, and the industry doesn't like the way it's sort of disturbance, you know, because then, like you say, that could be seen as well. We're making them take it. You know, I don't I don't make any apologies for sort of maybe disturbing or just getting them to think a little bit different. My dog's barking. Now you can probably hear that in the background. Um, should not as the geese. Um, but, it's like so, Animal yeah, Farm, this, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. Um, you know, the way I like to talk about it is as early as possible, speak to clients about the things that we do for our clients. So, you know, it, it's not a case of you've got to have this. It's a case of why you would need it, why you might need it. Let's look at working with your budget. What's your budget now? Because it can be changed in the future. So, you know, as family changes and family come along, that can be added to and moved and changed, but all for the right reasons. And everything that we would do would be documented anyway of why we did something. So I'm totally comfortable that if, if I'm talking about it and if we are saying, well, now is no better, better time to look at it just because of what's gone on, because people are going to be thinking in a slightly different way. We've all become a little bit more all over this sort of period. We, we all have had those thoughts where we've thought, but it could be me in that hospital. Um, if that makes people just think a little bit and talk to us about it and get some idea of what the costs are, what you can have, you know, for, for not a lot of money. I mean, my view would be if you can afford a mortgage of X, there's got to be a certain percentage that you, you can afford. You cannot afford not to do it. Well, there has to have been because you will have stress tested them as part of the process. Yes, yeah, as part of the whole thing, you've just got to have a look at Look, this is the, you know, and this is the implications of not having it, you know, and we've certain, as I said, we've had some claims and unfortunately, you know, we, we have had some clients pass away and, you know, they've then, you know, the partners then paid that mortgage off um, and it's gone. 
um, which is the position you really want your clients to be in. If we don't put them in that position, and it certainly don't talk to them about it and document that we talked about it, if they don't want to pay for it, that's that's it. But if you know, I need to sleep at night that I've had that conversation and provide them with the tools to put something in place. Whether they do it through me and don't or don't take me advice, go and do somewhere else, or don't take me advice and don't do anything. I can sort of like document that I had that conversation with them. Uh, but definitely there's no, you know, there's no better time to take it than right now. Um, and I'd, I make no, no, um, you know, no apologies for, for speaking to clients hard and saying, you know, my advice is you should take this. And it's nothing that I haven't got myself, you know, with a mortgage and a family, um, you know, I've got that stuff and I've got, I've got it for the business. So I'm happy to get my policies out and show a client my policies. That and that's why I've done it. But it's about grown-up conversations. Brilliant. Um, if people, well, I say if people, people should absolutely. I've I've known Dave for a few years now, and I would highly recommend him both as an advisor and indeed as a person. So, if people do want to get in touch with you, uh, how can they do it? Um, well, we've uh, our website, which is all the W's myriadmortgages.co.uk. That's M Y R I A D myriadmortgages.co.uk. Um, go on there. There's a contact form there. And you'll get an email over to us, and we'll email you straight back. You can give us a call. My telephone number is 07806722005, or it's just Dave at myriadmortgages.co.uk. Uh, drop us an email, and we'll, uh, we, you know, we'll have a conversation. Nothing better than having a have a telephone conversation with someone if you just want to review what they've got. Everything can be reviewed, um, whether that be your mortgage, your certainly your mortgage. There's a hell of a lot of people out there just sat on standard variable rate from the lender, and we might be able to just do a quick switch with their lender. But it's all about advice, what's best for them, and we'll do a, we'll do a free review and have a look at what you've got. And then if you have got insurance policies and they need reviewing, and we might be able to top them up with something else or like any product um policies and insurance policies will you know evolve and as we've talked about you know they get better conditions or they change and there's always new products about and you don't have to change what you've got you can just sort of like add a little bolt on top them up a little bit um, and just give yourself a little bit of extra cover um you know, what a lot of people will do and maybe change the mortgage but then don't change the policies that run alongside that mortgage whether that be on term you know the, the length of time they're going to pay out um, or the amounts if someone borrows some more and i always think this should you know we've all got other debts we have a car we have credit cards it's all right paying the mortgage off but if you leave her with you know a load of other debt that should be covered as well really um so but yeah you can give us a call we'll just have a, a frank conversation really and they can find you on linkedin as, as dave LinkedIn, forest yeah, yeah. and uh, are you, is myriad mortgages on any other social media um, platforms? we're on uh, facebook We've got a Facebook page on Myriad Mortgages, so you can contact us on there. Um, but yeah, I'm on LinkedIn myself as uh, Dave Forrest. Um, yeah, and just just get in touch with us. Fantastic. Um, well, there's there's no excuse now not to be able to get a hold of him. If yeah. you've got any questions, then do send send him those using that contact information. As I said at the outset, if you would like to be on the business spotlight, then it's spotlight at thepodstation.co.uk. Hopefully you'll enjoy this show. 
uh, Dave, thank you very much for all your no time problem, today. Thank That's you been so much, Mark. Fascinating. Um, it'd be quite interesting to get you back in a, a couple of months' time just to see how the whole market see has moved on. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if, you, if you'd be happy to do that, then I look forward to that very much. Definitely, definitely. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Um, take Thanks, care Mark. of yourself. Uh, stay safe. We'll see you soon. See you later, mate. If you'd like to submit your business to be on the show, simply email spotlight at thepodstation.co.uk or message us on social media at The Podstation on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.